0: You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish
1: football banter.
2: Hi, welcome to the latest episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season 11, episode 72 plus 20. Now, the reason why it's 72 plus 20 is because we're here for a Euro 92 throwback special because one of the podcast team has written a book. It's not me. Uh, (laughs) I I can just about read books, um, but writing, that's a different story. So before we welcome the person that has written the book, we are joined by Alan, Air Force One. How are you doing? Hi,
1: I'm I'm good, I'm good guys, uh, I, I, was, I had the pleasure of being at the book launch um, and uh, I actually just listened to the off the ball episode today earlier on, so um, a, John's getting a lot of success and he, he deserves this episode uh, dedicated to it, so I'm excited
2: to hear more about it and uh, I just have a good chat with you guys. Definitely, and obviously we'll ask them all easy questions. i <laughs> know <laughs> I've got a few. Aye. And we'll try not to talk too much about computer games. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was actually,
1: I wasn't going to bring that up. I thought nobody was, but I, I, I felt for him because I thought he's, he's worded it so confusingly there. Poor John.
2: <laughs> Hi. Um So we're joined by another writer um, of France 98 Scotland Story, Neil Dorothy. How are you doing?
3: John, pleasure to be here, and then I'll just echo what Alan's just said and congratulate John on the book. It's a brilliant read. I have now finished it, and it's been terrific escapism from the disaster of Wednesday night. But maybe we'll we'll keep that to the periphery right now. And yeah, congratulations again, John. As a terrific read, and the, the escapism of entering back into the the nineteen nineties has been therapy over the last few days. So. Uh, I did,
2: you to be fair, I still live in the 90s, um, so we're fine. Um, so you're on the other the other side tonight, John Blaisdell, author of Scotland's Swedish Adventure, because you're the, the guest as such. How are you doing?
0: It's it's still weird having attention on me. You know, I don't know if I can get used to it. I mean, also, this is now my third event in the week. Um, after obviously the bit launch and being on off the ball, and oops, even though it's what you have known them um, for six years, I still kind of used to being like, the subject of attention. But it's good.
2: Uh, I mean, what was I saying to you after the event last week? It's basically like it was like your wedding day, but heightened the fact that the focus was all on you.
0: <laughs> yeah. There was no bride or um, anyone to take the, um, attention away from me.
2: Well, there was a Sky Sports superstar.
0: Oh, of course, he, he's just a star. And, um, I was saying to you guys before, and then we were watching the um, old John Dykes video, a uh, well, Stay of mind video, um, and I let him stay up to watch 20 minutes of it. and fortunately I managed to catch his own speech. That was the one thing I wanted to see. And then once he watched his speech, he was straight to bed. So, good boy.
2: Are you waiting for the best bit?
0: <clears throat> I, of
2: course, naturally. Right, so to kick off, how did the book come about?
0: Well, I've got Mr Dorsey in a random way to think because I was reading his book last year and it was an absolutely brilliant read. Um, he went real in depth into, you know, um, other bits about France 98, Scotland's story that I didn't know. Um, And, you know, he was telling me the story and he told this podcast actually, we were on with Charles Patterson and uh, east Easton previewing the Euros last year that, um, you know, how it was all uh, how you came about writing it and it was self published and all the rest of it and I then got a light on my head that just said, no, I could probably do this. And I mentioned it to Suzanne, my wife, and um, you know, about, about Neil's book and she says, You you could totally do that. And I started looking into it. Um United was the first thing that came to my mind because I knew the uh, next year was the 30th anniversary. Um and <clears throat> I'd already had material written from the Tatan magazine and uh, you know I just approached those subjects, Sandy Rocks, Craig and Kevin Gallagher, if um, I could use them, they were absolutely fine with it, they were very supportive. Craig, as you know, has written the forward And Yeah. Yeah, it just rolled from there, and from, you know, the start of July, when I announced it live on Twitter, to January, when I finished it, seven months, that's, you know, it was done, and I was delighted how it turned out, and, it helped, I had a great um publishing pitch back to me, you know, I think that took a lot of um, stress away from me and expense, um, but no, they were, they've been so fantastic they were laid back about everything and, um, yeah,
2: that's a long, long window of saying how I got to this position. It's good that you gave yourself plenty of time to write it, eh? seven months?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, like it, the, there was a couple of weeks extension on on that because there was times where um, my youngest boy, Henry, um, was not well. Um, so much so that he'd be spending some of his nights sleeping on my shoulder and then when I put him into bed, he would wake up again. It was those kind of not well materials. So you didn't get time to sleep, let alone right. So you lost a couple of weeks for that. And that's the thing. That, that's that I'm probably most proud of myself. I've got a full-time job. okay, have um, two kids. I've got this podcast and I still managed to find the time to do it. And, um, No, I'm
2: grateful to everyone who supported me, including you guys, of course, John. I know, it's. I'm very proud of you, um, because I know when you first told me about it, I was buzzing for you, and I knew you could do it, no problems at all, because your your knowledge is fantastic. You're like Statman. You are Statman, John. (laughs) Statman, John, I'll take that any day. I know we say this is the resident podcast Statman, but you are the Statman, because you remember things from, like, 1990. Obscure games. I can barely remember the game against Ukraine last week, mind you. I'm trying to get it out of my head to be fair. So <laughs> that's not um, a good thing, yeah. Right. Okay. But yeah, though you, you do you remember like random things as well, don't you?
0: Yeah, I think I, I think I picked that from my grander. Um, You know, because that that was what he was, and was like, you know, um, I'm sorry, bring this. I mean, he, he also had dementia, but he could still ring off, you know, top. Even in his later days, he could still talk football with me, pretty much all night if he wanted to. You know, he could still remember all these things, and uh, you know, I think I get that from him. Um, so, um, but yeah, I love to recall. I mean, most of us remember what we're like growing up in certain years, but um, because I was high school and stuff like that, and um, we all remember our first tournaments. We now remember Tower United with my first one and. This one was also my first Euros Euro '92, and I'm just fascinated by the whole story. As I said last week, um, it's a story that gets overlooked, but, and that's that was the purpose was to try and bring this back to light so that you know people can ha- have a look at it and see we actually did pretty well, and we don't give it the appreciation it deserves.
2: So this is where we can kind of guess people's ages. Uh, Neil, what was your first Euros you remember? First Euros would have been Euro
3: '88. Um, So I've got a couple of years on join. My first World Cup would have been 86. And I had the Panini. You know, I was absolutely, I had the record, you know, big trip to Mexico. Um, But Euro 88 would have been my first Euros. And I had my first football kit, maybe, was Van Basten. Um, My family went on holiday to Mallorca. And I must have been about eight. And it was a, a wee Holland cat that I got with nine on the back with Van Basten. And I I can still, I think I vaguely remember that goal in the final, Michael Van Basten against USSR in mm-hmm. um, West Germany. Who, who hasn't seen that goal? But that's some of my earliest football memories. I can remember Mexico 86. I can remember Scotland, Denmark. I can remember being allowed to stay up to watch it, obviously, with the time difference. And I can remember Challa Nicholas going down injured and that being when I, mean, I was really young, but um yeah, I do have vague memories of 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 Mexico 86, the Nicholas going down injured and that being a big deal at the time. Um and the, the Uruguay, the Uruguay nothing each draw with yeah. Gordon Stratton getting um chopped down in the first minute and Uruguay getting the, the fastest ever World Cup sending off. I would say Euro '88, but I only really remember the final. I, I, I remember vaguely remember Van Basten's hat trick against England, but um, yeah, Euro '88. I had the Panini for that as well, but World, World Cups were really, as, as John has said, and he's uh, and obviously one of the themes that, that's drawn out in John's book and he, and all the the sessions and podcasts and, and interviews he's done around these book is that that this kind of theme that the Euros was almost on the periphery at, at that point wasn't considered just as important as the World Cup. But it's only in and, and, and more recent years that it's it's as the um the amount of teams nations in the tournament has expanded that it's become the 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 great tournament it has now not that it wasn't a great tournament then it was but tended to be left on the the periphery a wee bit uh, at the expense of the World Cup and that was certainly true for Scotland and that was one of the teams. and I do agree definitely that that was a good theme to, to come out of John and a good reason for writing the book and um, you know it has brought back to life one of Scotland's finest Devils at a major tournament and even myself I barely remember Euro 92 I was, I was roughly the same age as, as John um for some reason I remember Mexico 86 and, and Euro 88 more and I would have been older than Euro 92 so that's been great for me
2: it's maybe like you remember your early memories better because I'm the same as you I remember Mexico 86 yeah, I remember getting the wee ladybug book and you had uh, all the teams in it and you would to pick the winner and stuff like that and so it was that side of things the pre stickers definitely I think had Mexico 86 and Euro 88 completed and, and I don't have any anymore. So I wish I kept them because they probably worth a fortune Um that side of things, but then yeah, Euro 92, I would have been, I think, 13, so showing my age. Um, but I, yeah, I do remember it, but I think most of the focus would have probably been watching Scotland, though. I do remember uh having a keen soft spot for Sweden, and that was even before um the Rollins goal that knocked out England. I just I like the strip, uh, which is something I no doubt we will talk about in terms of the best kits in the tournament, and um, so I uh, that shows my age. Now I think we're going to find someone that's a fair bit younger here um, and put us all to shame in terms of age. Alan, what was your first Euros? First of all, you remember
1: <laughs> the first one we attended, uh, Euro twenty twenty. No, remember uh, the first one you remember.
2: Uh, you know that you know, uh, like you know, a kid. That's well, what no, I was, I was, uh,
1: I was minus one. Uh, I was, I was a twinkle in my dad's eye. Um, uh, Euro ni- uh, 92. Um I was, uh, I was born ninety three. So I mean. Uh, 96 was uh, I absolutely don't remember anything for 96. Um, first the, the first sort of campaigns I remember were unsuccessful campaigns. Um, I mean the my affiliation for sort of reading reading John's book. I, I'm not as fast a reader as Neil. Um, but uh, I've a hundred pages in, and you're reading the teams and you're recognizing the, the players and your stoichkovs and and the like and, uh, it's like I think I had champ man 98. Um. And that I just remember my team. Obviously, I had Falkirk, and you'd have like McAllister and Charbonni, and like Rosenthal up top, and like yeah, all these players who were around in the early nineties, and maybe tailing towards the end of their careers, um, building this fantastic Falkirk squad that I had, and uh, that's that's where sort of my interest lies. But um, I think uh, going into just just going back to just going back to John's book again. I'm just uh, I think t- the escapism, like Neil said, there, just t- taking you out completely and putting you in and not it's not it's not, it's not so long ago. Um a, a successful Scotland team um who was able we to get into tournaments and just hearing or just reading, sorry, some of the the bizarre things that went on around the squad. I mean, I think John was interviewed obviously at the at the book launch um and uh, he handled the, he handled the mics really well because I think there was meant to be speakers and uh, they, they, for some reason they failed and John had to, under pressure, speak up in front of a, a big crowd uh, and answer the questions and he, faultless, um, it, was, it went in really well and um, he was asked about sort of uh, what was your biggest surprise in your investigations for the book and I think John said it was, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, right? he said it was around the sort of squad selections at the time um, and even just this this early reading. You found that in the first three qualifiers in the campaign, we changed captain three times. Um, which is like you can imagine imagine you did that with Robbo, <laughs> like the first three games of this Nations League. You just the next three games we just changed captain three times. Um, like I, I think it's, it says one thing about the type of leadership they had in that squad, which maybe contributed to the success or relative success of the tournament. Um, John will be able to say more, but uh. I, it's just that it's diving into another this sort of parallel world. I guess not really parallel because it happened, but yeah, it's a, it's a really good read so far.
0: Yeah, there was eight different centre back partnerships as well for each of the eight games. <laughs> but it started off with Miller and Brian Irvin for the first game because there was an injury crisis. Um, I think it was David McPherson McLeish for the next game. Um, McPherson and um, Gary Gillespie who constantly played his last Scotland game in that in that game against Bulgaria. Bulgaria at home, it was Goff and McLeish. Um, and then away at San Marino, it was Malpass and McPherson. Switzerland, it was um, McPherson and McKimmy. Then in the second half, it was Mick, um, Mikkel and uh, McPherson because they moved Stuart McKeown back to right back. Um, against the uh, Romania away, it was Craig Levine and McPherson. And then in the last game, it was Levine and uh, and golf first and playing mate right back. It's incredible. And he still <laughs> managed to churn out results. Um you know, and Richard, I mean Richard was the most um cat player in the squad. He only made two appearances in that um, in the qualifiers because injuries and some of the probably that he made three appearances. Um, and you know yeah he was the third most cat player. Maybe that's why he ended up with squad numbers two and three respect <laughs> to the number of appearances in the qualifiers. <laughs>
2: in terms of talking about the squad though, because see obviously about nowadays, the amount of caps that are thrown out, seeing that that actual um, tournament, our squad I reckon was fairly inexperienced at the international level, with the exception of maybe about five players.
0: Right, I'm definitely, so, I mean obviously you had Goff McStay and, um, and Malpass were very heavily capped and Alan's talking about um, leadership in that squad, they well, there's three captains right I away, mean, they were the three ones that were in contention for the armbands, and they gave it to and Broxford gave it to Goff, and it was the right choice. Um, and then you had, I mean, guys like McCoyst, um were still fairly experienced, but obviously didn't have the same as those guys. But then, yeah, it was remarkable. What Brian McClare went in that tournament having only made twenty-three appearances for Scotland, and you wouldn't think that now. You know, um, he, was a, he was a goal-scoring machine at Man United, but he hadn't scored for Scotland at that point, <laughs> which well, is another thing that's incredible. Um it was a it was a squad at a decent age. I mean I think the average score, um, squad age was 27, 28, um of which Duncan Ferguson was the youngest at 20 and Henry Smith was the oldest at 36.
2: Well, we'll see looking at the squad, there was only four players who had more than 25 catch And if you think nowadays, when we look at Euro, uh, Euro 22, well, it ended up being 21, sorry. 20, 21. And um, you're were so delayed. We looked into that and we thought we had a pretty uh, inexperienced score at that point as well.
0: It just shows you um how many internationals there are these days and how long do the qualifying campaigns are compared to now, because obviously you've got you know Nations League and uh, you know six team groups, sometimes seven team groups actually, then playoff scenarios and all the rest of it back then. Obviously, it was a straightforward um, you know scenario. It was like seven groups, winners qualified, end of story. Um, some groups actually had um, four teams in it, and other teams, um other ones had five. There was what, 35 nations were trying to qualify for that tournament? Well, it became 34 when West and East Germany, who coincidentally, I, I love bringing this up to Tam and um, Stuart at the weekend, they were drawn in the same group and then ended up, um, obviously, just saying like just goes Germany now, because um, the country's amalgamated. wonder what that happened, had the um, been drawn in different groups but I have a feeling that the microwave would have been on at that point to make sure that, <laughs> just make sure they're in the same section so we don't have to have any complications further down the line
2: The microwave would be on all... <laughs> I've heard that one before, <laughs> that's a different way of saying hot dogs right. <laughs> So we'll see the book event itself, the book launch, how did that come about in terms of managing to have such a prestigious event at Hamden Museum
0: Um it was when I was on LinkedIn and Ian Emerson, the famous Atlanta magazine editor, who we've also had on mm-hmm. a few times, Emmy, um, or
2: what's you the bandit Woman
0: Bandit, yes. Oh, sure. <laughs> and, <laughs> yes, many, many nicknames. Um, so he'd um, commented on something um, that someone called Ursula McFarlane, um, who was working with the museum at the same time, um, shared about Jim McAllard, but long shared at the same venue. And I thought, and she'd asked as well, we're looking for some more events in 2022, if you've got any ideas. And I just reached out to her and asked the question, you know, put everything forward as to, you know, what the book was about, you know, why I think there's be the be success at Hamden, et cetera. And straight away, everything was sorted. <laughs> Unfortunately, Ursula left the company two weeks before um, the event, but she left it in good hands. The the guys at Hamden, um, yeah, she's now working at a um, company for Orton, um, shout out to her as well. Uh, she left it in good hands with um, you know, the boy Andy Kerr um, was was brilliant, um, made sure everything ran smoothly. Um even showed show um show calm around to the royal he, he took calm up to the royal box in Hamden whilst there was um you know, sign autographs, and, and I mean, Cam was under impression that he was getting in the Royal Box for the next game like,
2: or <laughs> <that." laughs> something. I got to ask, like
0: you, can not back again. <laughs> so I think Andy they admitted that, do one of these things happened, and then um, there was a boy called, I can't remember calling second name now, Um, that's bad, but he was great as well. Just made sure everything ran smoothly, and um, shit sure as well. to Jim from pitch, who was there, they just made. Everything so much easier so that um, I could just concentrate on, you know, talking to, um, to the audience and stuff and yeah, it ran really well.
2: Just give the listeners as well an insight into what kind of coverage of the event in terms of, obviously it was filmed, but a few journalists there as well, media guys.
0: Yeah, there was a, a couple of journalists came along. There was journalists from the, the Daily Record. Um, although there was a misprint in the Daily Record website saying Craig um, Brown book lunch. Um, <laughs> because <but, laughs> they weren't being paid to speak about the upcoming game which we won't talk about but um, under the pictures they um, put his with actually was mine um, so yeah they were there there was um, a couple of um, freelance journalists there uh, David Smith was there who's, um, who does stuff for State of Mind as well and uh, there was Louis Anderson who was there from Johnson Press um, so it was good for them uh, uh, to come along, and obviously, as we said before, Paul John and a state of mind, when we put out the <clears throat> request to see who would be up for filming and um, this event look like for the film, and Paul stepped in and was like, we'll do it absolutely not, for this the kind of thing that we're looking to do so, and obviously before we came on this podcast he put the premiere out of the um, YouTube video and it was absolutely fantastic, it was so well put together, I think my favourite shot This is supposed to also be about the book, etc. But my shot that he took was of um, the cakes as I made, Um, and you could actually see like cut through, and it just looked absolutely superb. So it was great to showcase that.
2: See, when the cake was unveiled, I think it took about half an hour for anyone to take a slice because everyone was too scared. It looked so good. (laughs) How many slices did you have, Alan? Uh, No comment. But It was like everyone was like just admiring it, like it was brilliant. You know, I thought it was the book itself. Um, so, I shout out for the business
0: absolutely. Susie Bates Kate, you can find her on Instagram and uh, Facebook, just um, message Suzanne directly, and she will get back to you. And she will, I'm also biased because I'm her husband, but um, genuinely, this stuff that's um that she produces in terms of um, design and quality taste, is absolutely fantastic. And you guys also sampled the cake yourself, so um, you can back me up in that one.
2: Aye, Alan sampled it. He enjoyed it that much, he went back for three attempts, just to make sure it was alright. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you are a bit discreet. you are fueling your body after the previous day, so we'll let you off. Aye, no,
1: nah, that's absolutely, absolutely cracking. Um, John, i just curious, so uh, obviously I'm, I'm no further on yet, um, in terms of the, the tournament itself, who, who was your... Obviously, uh, Scotland player, so taking Scotland at the equation, who was who your favourite player at the tournament, looking back on it?
3: Um,
0: my favourite player during the tournament um, became Thomas Brolin. Um Not just because of who he scored against, um, but just the quality of the goal. Um, there was just something... About Thomas Brolin, you know, the way he moved and, you know, the baby-faced assassin he was nicknamed at the time, and he was just such a quality player. The way he linked off um, guys like Martin Dallin and Kenneth Anderson was just sublime, and uh, that goal was just unbelievable. And for a good few years, um, certainly up until maybe just a few months post the um, USA 94 World Cup, he was up there with one of the best players on the planet. He was a sensational player. So, yeah, he was one that certainly... um, my obviously Dennis Bergkamp you know, he was an emerging talent at that point. You could see this boy was going to be some player and um you know, my f- <laughs> um, Obviously I liked Peter Schmeichel because um you know he was a topkeeper and <laughs> it's funny how people relate that Denmark in, in the final Denmark in Germany he wore a different top to what he wore throughout the competition and it was um, the humble bright like top. People associate that as the um the Peter Schmeichel Denmark um, United States top it was actually worn by John Martin for Adrian Scottish Cup final a month
1: before, since so the John Martin <laughs> top before we came to Schmeichel. Pierce another an inspiration for John Martin. <laughs> uh, we've, um, we've, we've got a, uh, a little bit of a soft spot for uh, the Schmeichel family in Falkirk. <laughs> that's where Casper uh, learned his game.
2: Absolutely. He'd had he plenty of practice anyway with saving shots <laughs> at Falkirk.
1: <laughs> Certainly did. <laughs>
3: On the your chapter, John. Sorry, John. Are oh, no, you going? I've uh, just got it. Your chapter, North American getaway. Um, it's it's absolutely superb, you know. And that was a, a tried and trusted um, regime, I suppose. That was the first time that that Andy Roxburgh and Craig Brown had had done that. But by the time World Cup '98 came around, that was they, they did that pre-tournament for Euro '92, and then it was so successful that they did it at Euro '96. And then they did it at World Cup 98, obviously having not qualified for USA 94. Um, And there's that famous footage of um, Madison Square Garden. I don't know if you've seen it. And it's Alan McCoy dancing on the stage. Um, Obviously, my focus in in my books, World Cup 98, and and the North American getaway was really quite explosive. There was a lot of controversy, um, which culminated in in Andy Gorham actually leaving the, the camp. I think yours was... A bit less Euro 92. I think it was quite a tranquil experience for the squad. You know, um, I just wondered, you know, off the back of that, obviously kind of core autobiographies for me, writing my book, Andy Gorham, The Goalie, which is just a fantastic autobiography, if anybody hasn't read it. Um, Paul Lambert as well. Funnily enough, there's very few... Paul Lambert's A Boy's Own Story it goes into quite a lot of detail about the... North American getaway World Cup 98 um, era. But um, I was just wondering, what were your core, kind of core autobiographies for writing your book?
0: Um, I mean, I, I read Craig um, Brown's The um, Game of Life, um, so I managed to take a hold of that. Pat Nevins was a good source. I mean, I spoke to Pat as well. Um, you know, he was uh, fantastic with his time, but uh, anything that I thought I missed, I got from his book as well, and I fully acknowledge that. Um, I'm going to shout Dave um, Smith out, again, because he sent me some quotes um, attributed to John Robertson's book, um, and Pitch made, when I sent the draft, um, the final draft off to Pitch, um, Pitch made me aware that, or reminded me, so, so much to learn, um, that I'd went over a certain number of characters or words um, in terms of quoting that, not a biography, and John Robertson's was one of them, so I, what I did was I just emailed um their publishing company and they said absolutely fine as long as you use the full quote. I think I'd in, in my initial draft, I'd taken I'd just put in the bits that were relevant, but they wanted the full time. I thought, well that's fine. Um so yeah. John Alberson's was um a good one as well. I'm just trying to think there was a couple of other ones that I'm sure I used. Um but that was the kind that was the kind of main ones the, um, was the the Craig Brown one, the Pat and Evan one and uh uh in, in the, the extracts from John Robertson's book and they were valuable material. I made sure that I referenced everything um, that, you know, quote because I think it's important, you know, I, I don't like plagiarism. Um, so if there's anything that I think, um, you know, that, that I don't know, I've got from you so I think it's very important to acknowledge that because um, without that material, I don't have the information. Another big source of my um, research as well. It was put on during lockdown. It was um, basically a Scotland story of '92 narrated by Andy and he was telling you some of the in-depths. And uh, the American story was also a big part of that, so that was valuable research material. So I'm glad the Scottish FA put that on during lockdown because I wouldn't have known about it. But, um, I didn't. I knew they'd done a Cape um press name one, but I couldn't remember the Roxbury one from '92. So I'm glad they put that on because without that, I might not have got a um, fraction of stuff that I ended up using.
2: I think from the North America tour, if anyone when anyone is reading the book, keep an eye out for the Duncan Ferguson story. Like how a player could get away with that. It preceded a tournament, I don't know. <laughs> it's fantastic good, I'm, not it's good, I'm not giving it away but it, it's brilliant I didn't hear go swelling it John it's one of my favourite it's probably one of our the funniest stories in the book I think
3: you make a good point John about lockdown and that, that helped me as well in writing my book there, there seemed to be a lot, an awful lot of stuff during lockdown appeared on YouTube and um, obviously the, the timing of the Nevin book and uh, John Robertson's book was also quite fortuitous for you as well and and um, for me personally, I these guys going on the record back in the nineties. It was it was the game of my life by Craig Brown was was crucial for me as well to 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 read and, and, and reference as you say carefully and and diligently. But um, I found that there was quite a surprising lack of autobiographies from the, the France '98 group. Surprisingly, Colin Henry, for example, John Collins, Craig Bowley. These guys, to my knowledge don't have autobiographies, that surprised me a wee bit. Um, In terms of the the footage, John, I I found the Craig Brown World Cup Diary extremely helpful in writing my book. It just brought it back to life, just to see what they wore, you know, the the outsized Umbro, you know, training gear and different things. Um, It just I I always felt that these guys were, I know they were kind of criticised about and the kind of culture of learning wasn't really appreciated too much but I feel as if they were ahead of their time you know even even to to allow that film and I know it's got the kind of dodgy 90s soundtrack and it's not it's not like really high spec production but equally I can't really see equivalence of I know it's a lot of camcorder footage and, and, and stuff but it's really I mean now all these years on it's that footage is like a treasure to me. Like it's there's no and I, I don't know even in like for Euro 2020, for example, cameras everywhere, but do we have an equivalent reference, visual reference like that? I don't I don't think we do. And I think these guys were ahead of their time. Craig Brown the way in the rates, um during France 98. I think it's commendable and they certainly helped me in writing my book. It definitely, I mean, I think it was, um, Hugh, you
0: obviously um, were at the event last week and Hugh was saying that Andy was a man that was ahead of each time and I think that was, um, you know, pretty much fair comment, you know, he knew um, the importance of, you know, trying to keep a Scottish guard, taking them away um, from, I think one of the reasons they went to America was not to get away from press because some press were invited, you know, when you go on trips like that, you invite some members of the press but it was more, you know, just to get away from, you know, just a bit of, um mixture of working place they still something to prepare for um, but just giving you i mean giving you that insight as to what was going on in the camp. it wasn't something that was really um thought of beforehand, and they also gave you some access and you know um put a bit of trust in that in the players as well to um to behave and obviously they behaved themselves quite impeccably but it was um it was a bit of a visionary um doing that because obviously you now see. Um, things like the All learn off and series and Netflix uh, on their Amazon Prime etc um, you know some watching the, the Scotland uh, media stuff that um that Lewis Science and Co have been doing is just sensational and I think um, I'd like to think they get some inspiration from what Messrs. Brown and Roxburgh did without question
2: I've got some questions for you John from our followers and friends of the podcast so Vinny straight I the deliberately
0: point- didn't read them Aye,
2: you say that, I don't believe you. Uh, Vinny said, pure to the point, how on earth do you start writing a book? <laughs> Um
0: Yeah, that, that's always the thing. It's, um, you know, when I write my articles for um, the Tatnav magazine, etc. I always think the hardest thing to do is um, to start it. But then once you start, everything just was... And the book was pretty much the same. Um, So, I mean, to start writing the book, first of all, you've got to make sure you've got all um, the majority of material together. So get your interviews in early is the first thing I'd advise. Um, I mean, I got my interviews in pretty late. The only exception was Richard Goff. That came very late in the day, but I could not turn that down. You know, i have been working on it for months. And I've got Alisa there to thank as well for giving Richard a wee hit his upside by John's um, really keen to speak. He's a good guy, etc. And I didn't even know him at this point, so um, before he go on the podcast, so I'll get him to thank for that. Um, but the, I got the majority of my interviews down early, um, and then everything just started to go from there. You know, I had ideas of how I was going to write things because I'd done my research. I knew a lot of the tournament, even the qualifying campaign. I knew a lot of that off the top of my head um, before I even interviewed people and started writing things down. So having doing your research and having some early memories of your own in your head is a big, big thing. Um, so I don't know if that fully answers many question but that's as good as it's going to get.
2: Oh, that's all right. Uh, and Dr Grant Campbell I you started stealing my job because he's got about three questions here. Um, well one what, what of the questions is about three questions in one but I'll ask, I'll ask a couple writer's block was there any struggles with that at any point?
0: Um I mean you've also as I, as I mentioned before Neil, um you've just got to make sure you don't plagiarize um and you've got to obviously get your um you know um your trust from the people that you're speaking to um be upfront with what you're looking to get out of the book and um you know make it clear what the materials for like so some of the interviews that I've had like with Richard, um with Andy, with Craig. Um, Kevin Gallica, that audio will never go live. That will never go live. Dave McPherson's was a different um, because that was for the podcast. I was open yeah. with Dave Say, I'd like to do an interview for the, um, the podcast to know about your career, but I'd like to use the United Two stuff a bit. And Dave was absolutely brand new with it, and of course, he was there last week. Um, and can't thank Dave enough for coming. So, um, as long as you're upfront with these people, you know, there's no stumbling block. But in terms of see, as long as you've just got the references in of where. You've sourced some of that information, then I then find, and of course, pitch to the having someone pitch Pitching board to they check all that. And they, and they would have let me know if there was anything I couldn't use. is say, the one thing that they did feedback was get permission from people who you've quoted more than um, 300 odd words. Um, so it wasn't just the autobiographies from John Robertson, there was also our podcast chats. Um, you know with um, with David First in particular yeah. and of course Craig just put out a nice sim um, we emailed him saying absolutely give permission and Ian Emerson the same from the Tatlan magazine because I used some Tatlan stuff for this again with their permission and, but the guys, everyone who I spoke to fans, players, ex-managers Jock Brown, Hugh McDonald Absolutely fantastic. Can't follow them. And I thank every single one of them. But also, I extend that to the guys who I asked, including um, Grant, including Neil, um, for checking over a a chapter each for me as well, um, to make sure it all read well. And yeah,
2: happy days. See, on the subject of chapters, Grant asked, what was the hardest chapter to write and why? I would
0: say, um, the the chapter covering the draw and two friendlies at happened that we had against Northern Ireland and uh, Finland. So, simple because there's only so much you can put in to two, let's be honest, um, <laughs> you know, matches that are not going to be remembered by fans. So, do, getting all that stuff in and some of the reaction to the draw stuff was um, probably the hardest chapter to try and make interest. That was the one I was most worried about, but Cal McFadden read that one, and he said that that was fantastic. He said, well, wait till you leave the rest of it, because it's even better. Um, so that was probably the hardest chapter, just for, for those reasons. How do you make two friendlies sound
2: interesting? <laughs> I because there's plenty of Scotland friendlies that I've been to that are certainly interesting, it's not the word for it. Did you have to go to the library at all, for any of your research?
0: I went to the Mitchell. Um, that was where I got some of my... Um, stuff in the squads for um for each game each game. So because obviously I took it right back to the, the first game against Romania. And as I said last last week, the thing that um surprised me the most was Jim Leighton was in the first squad. I thought Jim Leighton after the he was Spanish for three and a half years. Um, but he actually made that squad even though he wasn't in the Man United team. It was him, Andy Gorman, Campbell Money. He didn't even get on the bench. Money was in the bench and obviously Andy started every game. So that surprised me and it's interesting when you look through some of the squads and you see some of the names and I don't want to spoil it for anyone who um, hasn't read it yet, but it's really interesting that, you know, we used 28 players um, throughout that campaign. Now, that doesn't sound that probably sounds like a fraction of what better votes use in time, but um, at that point you know People think we had a settled um Stamp Level. We really didn't. We had um, Andy Rocks with as much injuries as any other Scotland managers had to deal with and still managed to um get a Scotland team to qualify for an eight-team European championship. And I think that's um remarkable itself. But yeah, the um yeah, the Mitchell's a good source and um and go through some old, um, old papers and uh, you know getting Gordon Sackins exclusive at the time as to why he had to pull out at the last minute. Um, through a knee, through a back injury, I had to retire prematurely from international football, um, and he was heartbroken about it. The looks of things, so no, yeah, definitely. That was good. That was a valuable day. That um, at the
1: match. Do, do you mind if I jump in here, John? Um, I'm well, I'm curious about as well. Just of someone who's uh, the games changed so much, just in terms of the rules of the game um, since uh, Euro '92. I mean. Again, obviously, I was, that was before I was born, but the memories of of, of things I've seen about it was the whole, you assumed that the final uh, was just Peter Schmeichel pick, picking up every pass that they went back to because it was allowed. So obviously, you mentioned about the qualifying campaign was two points. Um, was there any other sort of rule changes and how important was the pass-back rule to Denmark's success?
0: Well, I allowed them to waste time and, and slow the game down because obviously when you're under the course against a team like Germany with um, stars like Klinsmann in the team, um, you've got to try and play your advantages and use every trick in the book, so of course they slowed the game right down to conserve some energy, because Denmark put in a hell of a lot of effort um, given they'd only just been invited to the tournament at the last minute, and um, when you're up against say, world champions and stuff, you've just got to do what you need to do, and that probably was advantageous to them and obviously they rule really changed that summer. It's, it's amazing how much changed after that tournament, Alan. Like you said, it's went from 30-odd um, European nations to 55. Um, you know, you had, it was only an 18-turn, now it's 24. Um, there's obviously a lot of things like the, you know... Off, you know some of the offsides and interfering with play and all the rest of it. That seems to have changed quite a lot over the years as well. But that was that was obviously the biggest rule change was the, the passback pass back rule and that changed um, forever. Um, you see how keepers are taught from an early age to play with the ball of the feet, but also back then it was just a case of just planted. So some keepers took longer to adapt to the new pass back rule. Jim Leighton was one of them. Um, but it's also a different game now. But no, I would still argue um, is the game better now than it was in ninety two. Maybe the pass rule, something that is a good thing. But apart from that, I don't think there's much difference and much better quality these days. But maybe that's just me being nostalgic.
1: I, maybe, I mean, I I think the, the one thing I remember is a uh, is Craig Gordon in goals for Sunderland in the Premier League? Um where I can't remember who they're playing, I'm just gonna say Bolton. Um, I had an indirect free kick on like the six yard line or something, and he it, di- it didn't go in. But that's like that's just a memory I have of Craig Gordon. Um, and he's still playing. Christ, <laughs> who was who was the oldest player in the squad?
0: Henry Smith, um, at thirty six. Um, and that was a, there was an indirect um, free kick in the game between Scotland and CIS as well, which you know inside the box, which was a bit peculiar. Why not a penalty? You know, you don't see many, unless a goalkeeper's picked up a pass, but you don't see indirect free kicks in the box, but you had the odd one or two. Remember that year as well, you know, just scored just a free kick against Hearts from an indirect free kick inside the box through Kenny Black. I can't remember um, what the offences were for um, back then. And, but, yeah. yeah, it's amazing how the game's changed. <laughs>
2: But I've got a questions for you. Or oh, Neil, did you want to say something there?
3: No, no,
2: carry on. Oh, um, right, so James from Supernova, now you love your football kits, and it's usually a question you like to ask folk when we have guests on. So you want to know what was your favourite kit from Euro 92?
0: Sweet home. Um, I thought that was a superb kit. So I went through stages where I would um, want to get a foreign international top as well as a Scotland for a tournament. I could not get this Sweden one anywhere. It was a like gold dust, you just could not find it anywhere. Um, I ended up getting the Germany away kit, which was which was decent, but it wasn't the class of this one. Um not the Sweden one without question. Just the I'm not a big fan of yellow, believe it or not, but that one there was just something special about it with the blue lens coming midway, um, from the right shoulder. It was um it's just a beautiful kit. And then obviously it grows new when um, when they go when they do well in the tournament.
2: Um, of course, um, knocking English, yeah, it helped as well. Yeah, I think I've said to you before, had the World Cup for top this weekend and it's one of the best ever. Um, yeah. Neil, what was your favourite experiment? Do you remember the kits from Euro 92?
3: Yeah, I can remember the, the Dutch one was a lot more plain than the the one that I was describing from 88, which was mm-hmm. obviously the classic Adidas design that, that was also the jet West Germany away kit, wasn't it, in green? Um Soviet Union had the red, didn't they? If I remember right, they had they still retained that Adidas pattern that was uh, mostly uh, related to the the Dutch team of eighty eight. I think probably that that one was the most memorable. What, what no? In fact, there was this, I think the eighty eight that was the CIS. So that was just a plain. That was just a cobbled together. I am I'm mixing up tournaments now, apologies. Yeah,
2: and yeah. I don't think it was a great tournament no. for kits. 94, I think was peak international kits. I would say. That's when the Adidas yeah, templates in the, in the States. Well, yeah. like absolutely. should be have to, eye the United States Roman right? <laughs> <Do you laughs> away I, I think I would probably
3: have to go Denmark, you know? Um mm. or, or John I Sweden, the Sweden one, the Adidas Sweden one, as John is saying, is probably the strongest, isn't it, from ninety two?
2: Alan, you're obviously with a twinkle in the eye you just said earlier, but have you seen any of the kits from 92? Actually, I've got the
1: Football Kit Archive set up just now and there's a couple of juicy ones in there. Um, so that Denmark goalkeeping top uh, is, is pretty sweet. I don't think uh, you see much like that. I think I've actually got a, a, a... I don't think it's 92, but to be honest, the Denmark tops don't change that much. Um, so I might have a 90... I might have a later Denmark top, but I mean, even um, France's goalkeeper top, Classic green, just full-on, sort of shiny splash. Uh, that's another another Adidas one. And you've got the likes of the, the Lotto Netherlands one. Um, I think I'm a, a mate of mine, Big Rangers fan. He's got a couple of those. So, uh, aye, I mean, definitely, I wouldn't
2: say it's a, the tournament for the best of kits, but there's some smart tops in there. Um, right, Scott McGill is worried. I don't know, that's the question he's got. Because we know he, he kind of struggles with the reading. I think I don't know if this is why he's asked this question: how many different words were used in the book? I don't know if he's has how many different words as in in total, how, I words or how many words? Nine hundred fifty. I don't know if it's one of you to one for him. You need to get someone to be bedtime for him. <laughs> yeah, I think you'll best uh,
0: sticking to the Gruffalo. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, there's no, there's um. There's over 70,000 words. That's um, pretty much all
2: I can say. Um, how many different ones? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> you know what he likes? He likes a random question, doesn't he? Right? He's got a more serious one. A more serious one. And this will be a tough <laughs> one for you. Because um, I know you don't like to play favourites. But you're no the defence. Who was the best person that you interviewed for the book? Like, was there a pinch yourself moment when you went, holy, I'm interviewing...
0: Well, I'm not gonna lie, Richard Goff was that. Um, because I never thought I'd get him. Um and he was he was quite shy. Unders- obviously we all know what happened the following year um between him and Roxburgh, um, which was so see when I look at that image at the back of the book of the two of them um side by side, and then let's see, a little thought that it just makes that picture sad for me. But um so he, he was he was asking, you know, did they say anything? I was like, Listen, here's what they said. Um I'm not interested in what happened between you after that year and right? it's so I just all I know is do is, is um, bring up the story to light like, you know, um of Scott's Swedish Adventure, um not golf versus Roxburgh. Um and then he, he committed and speaking to him. I mean we spoke beforehand, um, you know, before I hit the record button he was explaining a couple of things. I th- I think there is regret and i I think he certainly regrets um releasing lot about I think six months after the fallout, um, because because that Craig Brown never picked him again. But he still speaks to two of them now. You know, whenever they meet in the social events, you know, they'll happily chat to each other. And uh, Richard actually said, um, you know, he does say it late in the book, that he still has that photo of him. And Notsman also said this at the event last week. He still got that photo. So Sweden, Scotland that Sweden, means a lot to him. It was his, in his eyes, his the best games for Scotland, which I would agree. I think he should have been in the team of the tournament. I think they had Jürgen Koller and... Um, one well, blanc in the team of the tour. I think that should go for the better team than the two of them, in my honest opinion. Um he was a truly done yeah I would I would say he was my favourite uh, just because I wasn't expecting him. But I would also put Andy Roxburgh there because he doesn't do that many interviews these days for podcasts and magazines and books. So for me to get him was um was special as well.
2: Definitely now we alluded to it earlier the fact that you were on off the ball at the weekend. So what was the computer game that you got, you, got you into football?
0: You
2: need to tell the story and put it into context, otherwise we'll like, what? What are you talking about? Yes,
0: Hi, um, I, so, I, uh, the way it, it see my defence, um, when a few people felt this back, they could understand why I, I started dancing the way I did, because oh, it, the yeah. way it was put across to me, it wasn't clear from Stuart. And I'm gonna say that. Um but yeah, the computer games that got me
2: into Scotland um,
0: <laughs> probably um the FIFA season.
2: <laughs> uh, aye, right okay. But generally the, the games that got you into sport in Scotland where yeah,
0: the actual football matches, well the first one was Scotland Norway, um when we qualified for the World Cup in the Italian ninety, um as I said on there. And probably that whole Euro um if I, a random game, I'm going to pick you. So when Scotland beat Argentina in a pre tournament friendly, Argentina was defending world champions, and Stuart McKimmy scored the aye goal aye, of yeah. the game. That nailed down his um, place in Scotland. I jokingly said, him him, and that's why he got the number nine, jersey because of that finish. Aye, aye. Never that's mind the fact he only scored t- 10 goals his whole career, but it was a great finish, Alan. So yeah, I'll say those two probably got me into the national team, and then obviously um, United 2 kicked it on even more
2: for me. And who was it that got you into supporting Scotland in terms of taking you to games and that? Like, who was your influence that way?
0: That was my mum. Yeah, my mum. she'd been going to, yeah, she went to Scotland games with my grand in the 70s and started taking me whenever she could. And um, her partner at the time took me in my first Scotland game against San Marino, um, which is also mentioned in the book. Um, but a lot of games, um, my other Scotland games, went with my mum. Um, I then went for years with them, um, with friends and stuff. But then recently, because I've got i Callum, my sister's got her too, and I've started going my mum again. This it's fantastic.
2: Hi, it's what it's all about, isn't it? Neil, what was your first Scotland game? Do you remember? Yeah, I do. Um, Scotland versus Bulgaria
3: in nineteen eighty-six for the unsuccessful Euro eighty-eight qualifiers. It was Andrew Oxborough's first game, and I do actually mention it in my. My own book, it's obviously your first Scotland match is always going to be significant. It was Andy Roxburgh's first game in charge and um 35, 000 at Hamden. And Kenny actually came on as a, a substitute. I, I don't know. Would have been what I think he was over hundred cards? Maybe he wasn't, but he was right. He was um one of his very, very last matches for Scotland. So but um Archie McPherson, I don't know if he's a read Archie McPherson's book on World, the World Cup um, Adventures in the, the Golden Age. It's um, kind of chronicles his time as a broadcaster across five tournaments. And um, he actually refers to that match as probably the worst football match he's ever seen. So um, that, that 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 was a straight quote from actually McPherson's book. It was a very poor match, but equally very important to me. And yeah, so I uh, dull 0-0 draw and an unsuccessful qualification campaign and then I went to every home qualification game for the 90 with my dad so that that was more significant and more Johnston and you know that the, the stuff that John's talking about there in Norway um, that that was that was the campaign that really you know was far more, more meaningful for me as a emerging Scotland fan
2: Aye What about yourself Alan? Was it like 2000? 18 or something like that no. <laughs> I was, That uh, and I was last
1: week Last week against you <laughs> <laughs> uh, No I, My dad uh, I went with my dad To Craig Levine's First game in charge uh, A 1-0 win Against uh, Republic. Public um, Which was oh, 20 2010 20, uh, 20, 2010 um, 2010 I was still, still In school And uh, I Scott Brown scored The winner there and I got, To be honest I think that was, the f- it was His first game So it was a, the first, Off to a winning start and also it was a First time we've won a friendly at Hamden in, in well over a decade, maybe maybe fourteen years or something. So uh aye, that was that was a good win. And then uh, obviously I well know what happened with Craig Lebeon after that. <laughs> His infamous 4-6-0. Like
0: yeah, it's amazing how we beat the Czech Republic one though, and it inspires them to play defensively away from home. But absolutely.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember that game as well. Like, like the, the Czechs checks are a good side. Like you had Riziki and um, Peter Check and goals, and uh, we, we played quite well. I mean, I think I was sitting. In, I was in the West Stand, right at the top, and uh, I remember Brown's goal, and just that was liftoff. <laughs> it was just like new manager, new year, first game. Like this is what it's going to be like to be a Scotland fan, but no. <laughs>
2: Mine was 96. I was quite late going to Scotland games, but 96 when my pals I went to Scotland, Australia, I like McCoy's 50th cap, which I think was the last game at the old time. Before I got it was the it. last
0: game in front of the old South stand, yes. Uh, um, and that was the last friendly win before
2: uh, turned up. Um, so <laughs> I never, never realised actually until earlier that it was his 50th cap, because back then, the media, you didn't have social media and all that telling you that, and I probably when not have been bored with the papers. they have been too busy. I wish have partying to know that any of that nonsense But I was reading up earlier it was his 50th cap he was captain and he scored.
0: Very and good.
2: I'm wondering as well it might not have been that long after his bad injury. I think he maybe not been long back in the yeah, he'd, as well. He came back in
0: August 95 um, after just over two years out cause he broke his leg against Portugal in April 93 uh, a black night for Scottish football um, with the Scotland national team specifically and then he had a couple of failed attempts coming back, and then he came back in that game in August uh, 95 against Greece, crucial qualifier. Um came off the bench and uh, for Buckingham I think it was. And then within six seconds, he gets in his head under John Collins Cross, and that took us to then uh, year 96. What a comeback!
2: Um, but another question from Josh, and there's a fair amount of content in the book about the Tartan Army because in 2092 2002 he'd obviously got the award, uh, which was created for them. Basically, for their behaviour. So, how does a modern-day tartan army reflect the tartan army that emerged out of Sudan ninety two?
0: Um, I mean, obviously things have um, changed over the years. Um, you know, new generations have, have come in, but the foundations have still been pretty much the same. You know, wherever you go, um, you know, remember that if you misbehave, it's a bad representation on Scotland, not just you as an individual. Um, but you can see things like when they were. When they were at Wembley last year and they were parting, um, and I can't remember what part of London they went, but you then see them picking up after themselves, like clearing the rubbish bottles away and things like that. So there's still a lot of that going on, and I think things have obviously mellowed as well over the years. Because in year ninety six, there was some, there was stealth tensions with England fans, and there was one or two scuffles um, then. But in the games that were played, England's. Um, know this side of the millennium in 2013 um, and then obviously the World Cup qualifiers and uh, the Euros. Um Scotland and England fans got an absolutely fantastic and you know we're allowed to leave Wembley together and all the rest of it so that actually shows you how much things have changed and you must give credit to you know I think um the majority of England fans who've obviously done their bit to try and tarnish themselves of the bad behaviour of the past as well I think. I
1: would um I would agree then. I'd also, I'll start on, you've got the likes of the charities now that work with, that are made up of the Scotland fans. Obviously, you've got TASA, um, who give a donation uh, to a children's charity at every single away game. That's That embodies sort of, all the money is raised through the Tartan Army. Um, and along with that, you've got the Tartan Army children's charity, um, which is another branch that donate to um, children's charities throughout the world, again, affiliated with the, the team. So you've got that whole feel-good spirit almost before the team even arrives, uh, sorry, the fans even arrive. And then we get across there and the, the the TASA have the presentation and they always have a sort of good collective um, spirit around that event. And that, that carries through to the game. So there's, I'd say it's not even, you've got the, the click, tidying up after yourself, sort of well-natured um, party and celebration of the, of the match. Um, and then the fundraising all around it, I think there's a general, there's such a good feel-good, factor around the Tartan army and even I mean I tell you what we lost that game against Ukraine um but I got, I got the bus through with the Edinburgh Tartan army and um, they run free buses for their members um and especially when the, the trains are going on strike it's uh, I mean it's, it's it's free it's brilliant um and uh, I came back with them and all they were talking about was Ireland away and Armenia away um and they were buzzing for it like they were they were, they were planning obviously which pubs are going to go to who's got their hotel Have they got tickets to the match? Like, the atmosphere around it was so excited. Um, I mean, obviously, there was a bit damp at the beginning. Everyone just kind of wanted to put the match out of their head and and talk about the future. But, um, yeah, I think football aside, we've performed poorly for years. But the Tartan Army have always been excited about going away with the team. Yeah, that's
0: it. I mean, that's what... um, Brings brings um a lot of Scotland fans together. You know, that's one thing I wish I'd done a bit more of in my younger days was um go abroad a bit more with the national team. You know, um I've only been to Holland, Wales, um, in England with the national team. That's actually quite bad. I'd love to have done a good bit more than that. Um, but
2: in the future, yeah, that's something that I wish I'd done. One of my mates was in the Tartan Army from the age of. 17, 18, and he was going to all these far from places, and you're thinking, Why am I not doing that as opposed to waste and going out three, four times a week? I could have been having better experiences, seeing a bit of the world. On the subject of the Tartan Army though, and going away, I remember always going to Dortmund, um, and it was a Scotland Germany game. And it was not long after Germany had played England, and the Germans were telling us stories about the like the metro station. When England were there, they were like had them regular every kind of couple of minutes to get the fans away from the ground. Whereas the Scotland fans, it was just a normal service because they knew the Scotland fans would behave, there was going to be no bother. And then there was a few comparisons with 93. obviously, there was some some bother in the other tournaments as well. We've had that bother from England, whereas our fans are always welcomed everywhere.
3: Can I jump in with a question? Hi, um, we me being the kind of 98 guy, I suppose, on this pod. John. I heard you recently, you asked a question pre-match for the Ukraine podcast, and it was, you were asking the guests to insert three 1998 players into the oh, i what, what, French 98 players into the current squad. But um, I'll was turn that on the current head. squad into the 98 team? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, that's probably what I was trying to say there. But, but what I'm asking you to do is, which the 98 players would you add to the 92 squad which three ninety-eight players would you which three ninety-two players would you replace with ninety-eight players?
0: Now are we talking first eleven or the twenty-man squad?
3: Twenty-man squad and it's a twenty-two-man ninety-eight squad. So you're on the spot the way you put everybody else on on the spot.
0: <laughs> no, that's fine. Um well, first of all, no harm to Dave Bowman. I like Dave Bowman as a player, but I would take him out for John Collins. Um I don't know John Collins um I think might have been injured for that tournament because I was asked this at the weekend, um, was it anyone who, you were surprised, wasn't in the squad? And I immediately said John Collins, because he'd played a couple of games in the qualifiers and stuff and scored against Bulgaria. But yeah, he would, um, I thought John Collins was in that squad ahead of uh, Dave Bowman. Um, trying to remember who was on. Um, I would have uh, J- Jim Leighton for Henry Smith. So we've got two good goalkeepers in there. No harm to Henry Smith, was a decent keeper, but Jim Leighton was a far better goalkeeper. Um so that's my second one and my third
2: one that's a
0: that is a very very good question
2: Um you made it too easy you actually to be in the first 11 <laughs> <laughs> you get better, you get well, better so.
0: Anil, do you know I <laughs> nearly said Tom Boyd but he was in both squads um, uh, I both. Yeah. so Joe um, you know I'm going to put Christian Daly in for um, it White with a
3: bit of
1: a wild card there. So, yeah, that's my thing. Good answer. I like it. Just thinking, it's, it's interesting that you're having these conversations. It's probably,
3: it,
1: it's obviously something that happens between tournament squads, um, because they're both qualified for the tournament, so you can have that level of success which makes the, the the picking even harder, I guess, if you look, if we tried to have that now and say, like, right, okay, who of the Euro 2020 squad would you have in Euro two thousand and eight qualifying, like it's you can't really have that conversation because it's you would pick the whole Euro twenty twenty squad surely because they got to a tournament. Um, So yeah, I I, I think that's one thing I'm hoping we we can sort of start to get back to even if we get to Euro twenty four, just being able to have those conversations again and go
2: right, okay, who would you pick? Who would you not take? Well, just you wait until the showstopper question I've got for John. You <laughs> up
0: now We're looking forward to it. Right. I think we've
2: covered all the questions from everyone else that we've had. I believe you've got something in return for us, John. Yes,
0: I do. And um I have um pre-warned you that um there was questions coming. Um I didn't say what the questions were. So um if I got a five five que- Yeah, obviously. Aye. Yeah, so five <laughs> questions um relating to the recent United to throwback series where I interviewed reps from each of the eight nations and five um, questions relating to the book. Um, so, question number one um, Brian Roy, what well, <laughs> just shout out, oh, yeah. hand up. <laughs> right, so question one Brian Roy was our Dutch guest, but what club side did he sign for after Euro 92? Bzz, 94.
3: 94.
2: John? Oh, that's all right. I'll well, let like Neil Goldstein, as yep. He shouted. He played the game the right way. I,
3: I said Nottingham Forest, but I'm sure there was a club in between, and I can't remember. Yeah, it's not Nottingham Forest. It's
2: Ajax. You...
3: Ajax is where came no, he came from. No, he played for Ajax at the time. He played for Ajax um, at the time of the tournament. There's a club in between. You
0: mean, um, Alan? Mm-hmm. No, did you say it was it that another big another. Yeah, it was an Italian team. It ah. was an Italian team we played for. Parma. The answer's Foggia. Oh,
3: that's a football.
0: They were Serie at the time. I don't know where they are these days, but yeah, they (laughs) were Serie at the time.
3: Right.
0: All three ex-footballers that appeared in the series each won a European trophy. True or
3: false? All three. True or false? So that would have been Brian Rye, Patrick Anderson, and who's the first? Alan Smith.
0: Alan Smith. Each of them won a European trophy. Is that true or false?
3: That's true. winners cup for Alan Smith.
1: Oh, and Neil here <laughs> Jumping <laughs> on his. That nose. is
0: the correct answer. Um, Brian Roy won UEFA Cup in ninety two with Ajax. Alan Smith won the European Cup Winners' Cup in ninety four, where he scored the winning goal against Parma. And Patrick Anderson won the Champions League in two thousand and one with Bayern Munich. Um, Question three. What is the name of the podcast German Matthias Suk appears on? I know. <laughs> You've just recently listened to this, Dave, as long as we just made you aware of the series.
2: Where were you when we were
0: tweeting about it last night? I know, I know. I'm is cheating it, a will like you know. Is,
2: is it Beyond the Wall? No. Close. Yellow Wall Pod. Uh-huh. Yellow Wall Pod. Makes sense in terms of yellow wall. He's a big water. British Dortmund fan. Uh, Dortmund, Dortmund podcast. Maybe hey, I'm getting confused. With right.
0: Uh, uh, do you know when I researched the questions, I nearly put behind the wall, but that would have been wrong. So it's yellow wall. Point. Um Question four: According to Pierre Etienne Menonziel, the Frenchman, what competition was Spain more focused on that allowed France to qualify ahead of them?
3: I know, but. Uh, <laughs> Let them go first, Neil, and then you can I'll get go. The answer. I'll go ahead My competitive street's coming out here, John.
2: Was it just you go ahead, John? Barcelona in the, in the European Cup? It was Neil, tell the answer. One pick
0: Yeah, they were focusing on the Barcelona 92 Olympics, which was obviously they were the host nation. And they won it, but they didn't qualify for a few 92. Um, question five. Um, so we had two Danish guests.
2: Which of the two wrote a book commemorating their success? This is like who wants to be a They are like 50-50, isn't it? <laughs> Aye. Well, there was only two. Do you remember who the two were? I remember uh, Stanbury. Now I need to remember the name of the other guy. someone help me out One like, on Burrows uh, really no is his
0: name so so Seb Stamber and Niels which one was it?
3: I crammed blessed and that was the right at the very end so I didn't really get in tune with those guys but still sounded really good the Danish words right enough
0: Did any want to fashion a guess before I give the an answer? just pick A or B, <laughs> B. i be. <laughs> answer is Seb Stanbury. <laughs> <laughs> Stanbury. <laughs> Seb Stanbury. I technically have Seb because that was the one. only name I remember.
2: So I'll take a point now. <laughs>
0: um, so these next ones relate to the book now. <clears throat> um, so question six. What player temporarily came out of international retirement to aid a defensive crisis in the 2-2 draw with Switzerland? What was your answer, John? Steve Nicholl. Correct. Yeah, he'd had a fallout with Roxburgh beforehand, but came back for that game.
2: I thought fair play for him going back, eh?
0: Aye, I know. Mm-hmm. That was another um, source of information, was um, finding that information out on in Google through his book. Question seven. Andy Gorham, who we wish all the best by um, the way, was the only player to play every qualifier Which two defenders were next on seven appearances out of eight? Um, Morris Malpass. Between Neil and Johnny, as I've got it right, Dave McPherson and Morris Malpass. Started seven of the
2: eight matches. I never, never, ever knew that Malpass Mm -hmm. could even play centre-back. Always remember him as a left-back. I rarely remember him playing at right-back, but certainly never at centre-back.
0: Mm-hmm. I think he, he certainly played them in these latter years, but played a couple of times at centre back for Scotland. Um, question eight What two players from the initial squad had to withdraw through injury?
2: Uh, Stephen Wright and Gary McAllister. Oh, no, no.
0: Nothing No, Gordon 2nd didn't get named. He pulled out before the squad was named. Stephen Wright's correct because we were on that podcast, John. Right? I wasn't sure McCall. McCall played all games.
3: Oh aye, 90. 92. 92, who? Oh, John Robertson.
2: Correct. Aye. Yeah, John
0: Robertson was named in the 20. Um, and he'd scored a couple of crucial goals on route he's getting there, but unfortunately an injury paid to him. Um question number nine. Um <laughs> given away a wee teaser for the book. What Scotland legends accidentally knocked out the TV plug by prematurely celebrating, thinking Denmark scored against England? Dennis Law. Until Neil's read this recently, it is Dennis Law <laughs> who was in punditry duty for ITV. But Al, that's just one of many good stories in that chapter. So, it's not too <laughs> much of a spoiler, then, <laughs> No,
1: sorry, I'm sorry. I'll still read it. Don't worry. Mm-hmm.
0: And last one here, I'm going to let John answer this first. What two player tales of your two were told to Scottish Football Forum's podcast?
2: Players? Mm-hmm. Dave McPherson? Yeah. Stuart Correct. Aye, I should know that, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Please That's well, yeah. Put the question. To you wish you, you, you had you asked me such an easy question when I gave you yours, don't worry. That
3: was definitely
2: no, a Right on. Right, uh, Neil, Ar- Neil and Alan, have you any other questions for John prior to the showstopper? No.
1: I've got, I've got one. Um, did you, did you watch? Like, was it easy to find a lot of footage um, for the matches? Um, did you watch a lot of games?
0: I Managed to get um, the YouTube highlights to refresh my memory in the Scotland games. Yes. So it was. There's a couple of channels that put up like, brief highlights, which helped. But, then what really helped was I managed to find one of the full 90 against Switzerland in BBC commentary. In fact, I did the same with the um, Romania home game as well. And that was great when I was able to get the full games. Um, so even watching some of them on the Bulgarian TV, um, I, I still made sure I tried to watch what I could. and Yeah, that, that was valuable because it made, it gave me the chance to put in fully, you know, what happens. And, and that's what I was trying to bring in the book was I didn't want to overload me stats and how many shots were on goal and all that kind of thing, that's for other people to do, but just to give a description of how the game unfolded and stuff, so anyone who's not seen before, and there will be people hopefully who buy this who haven't seen Euro 92, any of the qualifiers that will be able to have a picture before they go on YouTube to search for themselves
2: No no
3: more questions from me John, I'll just congratulate you again on a great book, it is a, a terrific read and I do recommend it to everybody thank you very much Neil it means a lot to me right
2: before we get in, a couple of reviews past-
0: I've had so far as well um, before we do the show I just want to give a shout out to Graham Gels who has amazing review um, on Twitter um, you know you give me an 8 out of 10 I'll take that any day um, because Graham's quite a critic when um, he, he does good <laughs> reviews so oh, I'm happy with that 8 out of 10 absolutely
2: I was going to say, before the show stop, where can everybody buy the book?
0: Right, so you can buy it on Amazon, you can buy it um, on Waterstones, you can actually go through and pitch themselves um, to, there's a, link, there's a link to pitch um, where you can buy the book, they've got the links to Waterstones, and I think Hive's another one, there's a couple others Amazon, of course, or if you want a signed copy, because I at the moment have no planned sign events, um, just Contact me directly at JaiBleesDale81 on Twitter at jaibleesdale 1981 on Instagram and directly through Facebook. And I do respond to my direct messages. There are people out there who have direct messages and don't respond. I do. So (laughs) if you want to send copy, contact me directly.
2: Definitely. And Father's Day is coming up. So it's an ideal present for Father's Day. Now, if you want to get something special for Father's Day, you can get John's book. But something else you might want to get if you want your own showstopper is a lawnmower 4.0. So get your dad a lawnmower 4.0. He can make his lion look rampant as we look to progress in Europe. Or it, maybe he's going further away in holiday this summer. Um, so the code is SFF20 and you can get 20% off and free shipping at uk.manscape.com. Not just the lawnmower 4.0 you can get. You can get some nice refined after shave, make yourself smell nice. It's up to you where you spray it. I'm not saying where you can spray it, but it might it might uh, sting a wee bit after you shave down below. Uh, you can get the old uh, boss spray, which is handy for the summer because we're getting a bit. Weather's getting better. You don't want sweaty boys, nothing worse than sweaty boars and sweaty boys in wing You all know what bat wing is, right? So I get involved. So get John's book, but also as well buy something from Manscaped and make your dad happy, or your mum. Or whoever, just anyone. Right, showstopper time. So, you like a best 11 question. Now, obviously, Scotland have qualified for the Euros on three occasions. I want you to name a 1 11 of best Scotland players from the Euros. Now, if it's a player that played at both 92 and 96, I want the version that you're picking. Okay? Yep. It's absolutely fine, right? So, um, my goalkeeper
0: is Andy Gorham from Euro 96. Um, I thought he was outstanding in that term. The sort of safety made was incredible, although John Collins made be the best save in Euro 96. Um, are you, is it a is it a be a specific numbers to how many I have from each era?
2: Oh, you've got carte blanche, you can pick what you want in terms of how you feel. Okay, right? So, I'm gonna go with uh, then. Um,
0: so I'm going to go with the um, K Brown, Steve Clark, five, three, two for this one. Um, okay. So um, my um, three centre backs are going to be well. This is easy. It's going to be um, Richard Goff, United two, obviously. Mm-hmm.
3: Um, I'm
0: going to pick um, Colin Henry, United six. Okay. I don't know why I've seen Colin Henry United six. I haven't played in that one. And um, I'm going to go on Tierney of the current crop. So he's going in there. Um, my right wing back is going to be Shoot McKimmy. Okay. Um, my left wing back, um, so I'm going to have for, for Andy Robertson. Andy Robertson has a super tournament. Um, I like tomorrow's Malpass. and thought we kind of had a decent year in the next six but I'm going to go with Andy Robertson. Um, now, this is where it gets tricky. Um, the, um, my midfield, so... Um, so, I'm going to pick Paul stay in your 92. I thought he had a superb two in 92, so Paul McStay um, goes in there for me. Um, I'm going to put John Collins from Six. 96. Um, I think that's uh, fairly obvious. Um, okay. And... To complete it, I know it's going to be a couple of... Um, Left footed person there, but Cal McGregor, you know, he scored that first goal at a major tournament um first goal since uh, 98. So yeah, he's um he's been in there. And my front two, well, it's obviously gonna be Alan Poist from Euro 96. Um and my other shaker. Mm. Yeah, that's where it gets tricky because we didn't score we haven't scored many goals at the Euros before <laughs> we scored um. <sighs> mm. You know I'm gonna put Duke Bots Gordon Dewey. Um, you know, he won the penalty against uh, England in, in that tournament, and uh he played well in that tournament. He also played well in 92. So I'm gonna go John, Gordon Jury, next 96 version um, for that one. Okay. So yeah, that completes my team.
2: Who's your captain? Richard Gough. Richard Gough, I thought it might be. And who is your number one, year manager? Mm,
0: um I'm going to
2: have to go Craig Brown. Craig Brown. Right, okay. Fair enough.
3: That wasn't too bad, was it? That team quite well.
2: Yeah.
0: I thought you were going to give me worse for some reason, so... I'm going to do that to you.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
3: no,
2: thank you. Nice, nah, good team. I like it. Strong. Right, Alan and Neil. If you were to change three players from that team, you <laughs> know you're not getting you're not no getting away easy. Uh, what three players would you take out, and what three players would you put in? And it. So. That's I would
3: take out, out. I would take. I would play Paul Lambert in '98. What's you don't
2: Remember. Oh God, she's on '98. He would go '96. So. No, he didn't. He only played that. I, do you know team. I think I, I think I get confused with reading books last week because I was reading your book as well, Neil. Nicole 98. That's why earlier on when I answered that question in their own way. Right. That's the I think. Oh. Who's a, who's a penalty get... taker in your side? Isn't that
1: side
0: Who's my penalty taker? Um, John Collins
3: they pretty a good team. Could you write rhyme off the defence again? Who were the three? Surely,
2: backs? yeah. I'll, I'll remind the, the team to everyone, right? So we have got Andy Gorham from 96, oh, Richard Goff, 92, Colin Hendry, 96, Kieran Tierney, mm-hmm. 2020, mm-hmm. Stuart McKimmy, 92, Paul McStay, 92, John Collins, 96, Carl McGregor, 2020, Andy Robertson, 2020, and then Ali McCoy, 96, and Gordon Jury, 96. I mean, You could flip the formation up, you could do what you want with it, it's up to you. Would you think
3: Alan Gary McAllister? Would you want to introduce him? he missed a penalty in ninety six, so perhaps not. So we going ah, no, 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 so I, I, I was thinking about your, your goal scorers, but
1: then he's already pinched them all.
3: Um yeah, I was thinking Gallagher over Jury, but but that's it's each peachy, isn't it?
2: I mean you've got Did you didn't say team. it had to be
1: Scotland teams, we're gonna start pinching other players. <laughs>
2: <laughs> no, no, no. Having, it's a very good team
3: and i am having an awful lot of difficulty with not jumping into the ninety eight because I was so immersed in that subject for so long. I'm trying to jump over into Euro ninety six. And remember, you such a oh, cala stuff in ninety two, remember? Mm-hmm.
2: ninety two. Mm-hmm. I think if you're talking if you're
1: talking about just how they performed at tournaments, um I wouldn't ah, that's, that's actually quite difficult. I was gonna say you couldn't that you consider.
3: I would be tempted to go for who was the Euro 96 right wing
0: back it was actually Stuart McKimmy the first two games and then Craig Burley for the last game Burley let's get Burley in
2: what do you think are you bringing Burley in at wing back or midfield
3: yeah we'll stick with the Um, 3-5 game to go for Burley for McKimmy right one back but maybe more for what he did later than
2: I oh, did yeah, the Euros uh-huh. if this was going out um, visually basically Neil and Alan are scratching their head <laughs> <laughs> I've right
1: actually i actually actually brought up the highlights of the, the England game uh, just to try and see if I could like there's some, something there but there's there's, there's not I think uh, <laughs> Budley came one for McKinley uh, later
2: on in that one, anyway. Right, okay, we'll, we'll change it then, Neil. What three players from the Scotland in nine to eight would you have in that team?
3: Yeah, please, to my strengths uh, a
2: little bit more. Aye, <laughs> I'm, I'm still taking. I'm only letting you that's only your second appearance in the podcast. i you're, you're young, so will I'll get McFadden on <laughs> that, that side.
3: I I would look back to to Lambert then I would I just thought he was fantastic uh, in that tournament in um, in that era so I'll put in Lambert and John picked McStay McGregor and who? Collins Collins Collins. you you quite leave Collins in don't you? I, I would probably go Lambert for McGregor
2: okay Uh, who else?
3: You can take this one
1: again,
3: Neil. <laughs> Gallica for Jury, I mean you just there wouldn't there wouldn't be much point, would that? I would go for Craig Bulley for right wing back over McKami.
2: Right, okay. And then you've got a bit of versatility. If he wants to change up during the game, he can put volley in midfield. Change it up. Change formation, can't he? And who's your third player?
3: Aye. Obviously, he can shift into midfield like he did against Norway. Aye. Yeah. I don't think the centre-backs. So, Henry I would retain. Goff, I would retain. Third centre-back again. It's getting late. Third's behind me. Tierney, oh. <laughs> Tierney was it was that semi-injured that Euro 2020, which was such a shame, wasn't he? It? it was good against England. Hmm. In the midfield, France 98. across the middle, it was Collins again. It was Lambert. And he played Darren Jackson. It out of position, so I wouldn't go with Dan Jackson. No. Not, he, was, he, was, he was a good really underrated Scotland International and deserved his place. But I wouldn't be trading out Paul McStay for him. I'll just go, I'll just go tokenistic Gallagher for Jury because I thought oh, I Gallagher was for winning the penalty at, at the stand de France. But it's just for the same reasons that John took Jury for winning the penalty.
0: Fair enough. But you when I think you to be are. fake is would have can kind of freeze efforts in the goal score and um, the qualification to be fair as well um, if I was picking the team again yeah, I'd probably pick McCall in midfield somewhere and maybe drop McGregor but I had to put I felt like I had to put McGregor in for that goal against Croatia
1: yeah goal I was, at, I was at that game it was as I said it was a I think it was a moment I think I realised even though we weren't going anywhere with the game uh, it actually got us to 1-1 so it, it, we could have done something but just the way Croatia were playing just to get that lift to get the get the goal was something
2: else. So I think that is a wrap. Uh, before we wrap though, I want to say thank you, John, for coming on as a guest and answering all our questions.
0: Well, thank you very much. And thanks to you too and to Ross and Jeff um, for attending the lunch. Um, only great is I didn't get my photo reuse, but um these things happened, but no, it was a um it was a terrific day. I'm glad that you came along and enjoy it and um, thanks for supporting the project.
2: I know it was a terrific day and all the best with the book going forward. Plenty of sales. I
1: know that, that's well, it. Too much cash in the book. Yeah. We'll no we'll not have time for the podcast.
0: Neil will tell you what's, what money's involved in them, but then believe me, you still need to be working full time. <laughs> no,
1: yeah, it
3: it it's, it it's a great exactly. book, John. Yeah, congratulations. And if you haven't read it, get it.
2: I can see after the event, it looked like it was Book Club when we all went to the pub because we're <laughs> all sitting copies of the book. <laughs> Uh, and I tell tell you what the last thing you're saying though is in
1: terms of a product it's a really nice book just to even to hold um I think it was only mentioned that on the off the ball podcast it's like the high quality pictures and stuff but it is if you even if you didn't read just buy it to walk about with because it's handy for that right?
2: <laughs> or if you're short like take it out by and just stand on it to make yourself a dollar <laughs> 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 oh hi
0: I that, that's know. better than Tam King putting it
3: in the Janity
2: shop. I cheeky bugger.
1: Oh, Tam was great. No. I I know, was that, awesome. that, was, that was an experience in itself with the sounds of it. And, and to get your visitor passed and get into the, the off-season stuff and uh, a different experience than the usual podcast? Yeah, it sure was. Um, but no, I've
0: enjoyed Christmas just as much as off the ball.
2: Right, cheers everyone and uh, best of luck to Scotland on Wednesday. Cheers guys. Thank
1: you. Uh...